What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What is up? How you living? How you doing? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E man. And we have what we like to call an ultimate good guy move. Connor Rogers joining us today. Uh, our good buddy and pal, Brian Westbrook. Uh, we're sending our prayers to him. Uh, family stuff. We love you, buddy. We hope you're doing well. Uh, and of course, David Ingber is in the house. Ingber, you look uh, you look great. You look like you, you're well-rested. <laughs> no, I am not well-rested. I'm glad <laughs> that I've been able to fake that through the camera then. Uh, Connor, on the other hand, has the greatest hair I've ever seen. And uh, do we appreciate you, man. And I, I think it's fitting that uh, after one of the worst Jets losses of all time that we bring you on. And so we just wanted to hit you with that right off the chest. So. Absolutely. It, it's funny. Uh, you know, I was on the phone with my dad last night and, and he's just like, you know, you're going to be you're going to be really busy this year for all the worst reasons, because I covered the draft and everybody yeah. knows me as a Jets guy. And I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. So here we are. And I love talking to you guys. So I'm kind of glad you guys are the first people I feel like I can talk Jets misery with. Have right you now. started like, like I, this is, I am very hyperbolic as people were pointing out on Twitter, but like, is Jets Nation already focused on the draft? Absolutely. Jets wow. Nation is already in the, are we going to be bad enough where it's going to be Trevor Lawrence and like the Sam era is already mm. over. And week one was so bad, Lefko, that. I spent a lot of my week like hitting up people and sources to see like, hey, who who are the coaches Joe Douglas is going to look at? Like that's wow. that's what you have to start investigating on. At least at the my ground Eagles, floor. My Eagles look very mediocre. Uh, Ingber's Patriots though, uh, pretty exciting. We're going to talk about that in a second. We're also going to get top five MVPs, the craziness of that Dallas game, uh, and just kind of our overall thoughts. Um, but yeah, Ingber, I saw that I was all over what? W-E-E-I this week. Uh, apparently my dumb thoughts people are taking as like serious banter now. So as always, like you take a clip out of the podcast. No one actually listens to the podcast. They just watch the 90 second clip and then they just pile on, go crazy. They have no idea if you Sometimes were- they don't even watch the 90 second clip. They just read the, the what you wrote <laughs> right. in the tweet. And so just to catch everybody up, you had said that you thought that the Patriots might just be running Cam into the ground these first few weeks and that uh, this is a perfect setup for Belichick playing 12-dimensional chess, that he's going to bring in Stidham in week seven or eight, and the whole league (laughs) has tape only on a Cam Newton-led offense, and he's Mm. got everybody fooled. It's a Jedi mind trick. And uh, you and I were joking over text that like maybe this is going to happen and you're going to do the greatest victory lap of all time, but yeah, the, the craziness on Twitter was was unstoppable for about a week. And the WEEI, the local radio station that I grew up listening to outside of Boston, even they accused you of like being too much of a homer for the Pats, which is they like did they did a badge two of honor. they did two segments on it. 
And one of the hosts goes, I mean, Lefko does realize that Brian Hoyer would be the guy that would go in. And I was like, okay, see, now you're out of pocket for saying that they're doing this for Brian Hoyer. No, but it's, it's Julian I, I just want, I want to say, I want to say really quick that Cam is just like I said, when he got signed, he's phenomenal. And he's back, and he looks great. Um, there, there are moments that I get so much joy out of watching Cam. Obviously, I get joy out of watching Russ. I mean, it's majestic. But Cam to be on the sideline with Edelman after they get that touchdown and they're kind of shooting, and Edelman is just exhausted. I love seeing Cam on a team and the energy that he gives that team. Do I think that what I see from the Patriots is sustainable? I still don't. I don't think you can get that out of Edelman every game. I'm not seeing it out of DK. And excuse me, DK. I wish they had DK and Nikhil Harry right now. Um, but I do think that the one aspect that the Patriots were missing was James White. And again, prayers go out to him and his family. Just absolute tragedy. But I still think the Patriots um, have a chance. But I'm more concerned about their defense than anything. Because what we're seeing out of this Patriots defense is not what we saw last year. And that was my concern with the D-line and the linebackers. But, Connor, my my Cam Newton rant that apparently people thought was 100% serious. Where are you right now with Cam? Where do you stand with the Patriots and the Bills? As a Jets fan, I feel like you know the AFC East pretty well. Yeah, I picked the Patriots to still win this division for for two reasons. One, I'm a Cam believer, and I know everyone, you know, all the pessimists on Twitter are like, well, yes, to stay healthy. And it's like, yeah, like, let's not talk about that right now because the first totally. two games have been a blast, right? Like, as a Jets fan, I love watching Cam Newton on the Patriots. Do you realize how insane that sounds? Like, that's how likable Dude, Cam you're, Newton Wow, you've really given up on the season. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Also, betting comes into play here all the oh, time. So, totally. so I, I took Cam passing yards that night. So I'm just screaming every time for every Edelman completion. And if the Seahawks lose games, the Jets get a better pick. So there's a million factors involved. Jamal Adams. But here's the thing, man. Like with the Patriots, the second thing was just situational football. And last night, they were one play away from not even giving the Seahawks a chance to try to come back. Sure, it didn't work, but most of the time they're going to convert there. I still think they're the team in the AFC East. I think when it matters, they are going to beat really? the Bills. The Bills are are going to make the playoffs. Josh Allen looks great. They're doing a lot of good things on defense, as they always do. I still think New England is the team in this division. Let's get into then MVP voting, because a lot of the guys that we're naming are guys that are going to be on that list. And I think MVP is a good way of talking about the true contenders and also the guys that are performing. No surprise, it's all quarterbacks. But where are the the um, odds right now, Ingber, for MVP voting? Well, we're recording this on Monday morning, so the post-week two lines aren't going to come out until Tuesday or Wednesday. So there might ah. be some adjustments over the next 24 hours or so. But just so we can take a look at where things are, uh, Patrick Mahomes around three to one, Lamar Jackson around five to one, Russell Wilson's called five and a half to six to one, depending on where you look. And then there's a big drop off to the next tier down, mm. which is Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers at 14 to one and Breeze at 16 to one. And your guy, Josh Allen, all the way down at 30 to one. If you think mm. they're going to win 12 or 13 games, that's not a bad flyer. So I've, I've spent time because every time I watch somebody yesterday, I watched Russell Wilson. I was like, he's the MVP. And then I watched Mahomes make the throw and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of come up with a list and I'm curious where Connor's yours is with me. I really have five guys that I think are real MVP candidates. And then I have one guy that has a chance, but I don't trust him. And then two where it's, it's a nice thought. 
So the two that are a nice thought to me, I think you need to give respect to Ryan Tannehill and Jared Goff right now. Um, Jared Goff is the one that when I looked at all the other rankings, I was like, it's really not him, but I want to give him credit because I usually trash him. And to be honest, if I'm re-ranking the 2016 draft class right now, I'm not giving up on our bet, Connor, but I would make it um, Dak Goff Wentz. But I'm not giving up on the bet yet, Connor. I don't. I was going to send you the jersey this summer, but now I'm glad I, I held off because I don't. For know For people where that we're don't remember, uh, four or five years ago, me and Connor made a bet who would be better, Goff or Wentz, and we still don't know who was won the bet yet. You truly so don't. You can't say. We can't make it. Uh, Tannehill six to zero oh, touchdown interception, seventy percent completion percentage, sixth in QBR, fourth in EPA. And and when you really look at how they're doing it, the defense has not been good for the Titans, and Ryan Tannehill's still getting it done. But I don't think either of us think he's a real MVP candidate. Do you? I don't. Uh, and I just want to say I expected like big regression from this year. So for him to come out this great in the first two weeks, all the credit to him. But the MVP numbers are something that at the end of the year, he, he just won't be asked to do the things your top guys are going to do. So Josh Allen, to me, is the guy that is a true MVP contender that I just don't trust. Same. So far, when you look at what he's done, 75 yards, a rushing touchdown, fourth in QBR, he's completing 70% of his passes. And that's the thing that we were like, what is Stefan Diggs really going to do? He's second in EPA, and he's really tight with Mahomes, or the only two over 20. And, and he's hitting with the deep ball. Miami went four or five for 140 and a touchdown on deep balls, but he makes still so many dumb things that will bite him when he's not playing the Jets or the Dolphins. So I want to say for a lot of people, like I was a very hard on Josh Allen. He is a special MVP caliber player. But when you watch that deep ball to John Brown that really iced the game, go into Game Pass and watch the game before where he overthrew him by 10 yards and Xavier Howard almost picked it off. I love Josh Allen. He truly is an MVP candidate. I just don't trust him. And I don't know if you do, Connor. No, I don't. And I, you know, I was explaining this. Like the Jets are, you could say, the worst team in football right now. And the Dolphins are bad again. I, I know people are excited about Brian Flores and what they did in the draft. This was always a two to three year thing, not a one year thing. So he, he's a franchise quarterback. And I think he's turning into a really good player. That doesn't mean you're in the MVP conversation. The MVP conversa- conversations for the best players. He's going to yeah. run into some much better teams. He still fumbled twice against the Jets, and you're kind of sitting there going, man, great game, but you're still letting teams hang around. He's a great player, He's or he's turning into a great player. I don't trust him at all because the schedule is going to get significantly diff- more difficult, and the numbers are going to come back to life. Mr. Mr. Draft, when you look back at that 2018 class in your ranking – Lamar, Baker, Josh, and Sam Darnold, because I'm not including Rosen. You're going Lamar one, and then who two? You're going Josh Allen two, and then Baker? Right now, you would have to do that. I think Mm. it would be a sin to try to twist yourself into a knot and explain why you think Baker's better. Now, I think that the other five guys are all true MVP candidates. My top five order is Russ at one, Lamar at two, Mahomes at three, and I would put Rodgers at four and Kyler at five right now because I think what Kyler is doing is incredible. I said this last week, but I'm curious. 
Connor, from when you scouted him coming out of Oklahoma to now what he is in year two, where do you see the Kyler trend line going? I mean, skyrocketing. This guy has every makings of that Lamar Jackson year two kind of jump. And he's not that special in terms of a runner, but I think he's in an offense that'll open. I know. I know. I don't know. It's not the gap's not big. I just think Lamar is like Vic. And I don't think I just don't know. So so Kyler has 158 rushing yards, three touchdowns. He made Troy Apke yesterday. He just froze him. He had one that got called back where he did like a skip to my Lou and one mixtape. Lamar to me has straight ahead. Kyler to me is he really is a joystick. It doesn't get touched. It's like some Barry Sanders stuff. Um, but he still makes the he makes the throwing errors that Lamar was making last year, where it's like, why are you lobbing that one up? But Kyler, man, I would bet everything on Kyler. Just yeah. as a it was the only MVP bet in I put in before the year because he was plus forty four hundred. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a he's going to win it. It was like there's a chance he's Lamar this year, and it's plus forty four hundred. So like you. you know, ten bucks wins you four forty to put it in perspective of whatever you want to place on it, and then just double it up. Uh, and I, you know, like I'm with you, Lefko. I, I think this is Russ's award to lose because yeah. Russ is great, right? Russ is you can argue Russ is the best quarterback in football. I think it's Mahomes. You can sit here, though, and have a healthy conversation about it between the two. Russ is going to be asked to throw so much this year because they have no pass rush. Secondary is not great. Jamal Adams is a great addition. Jamal Adams isn't the Ed Reed of a secondary. He's playing downhill. No. He got beat a lot you know, on Sunday night. It happened. What you said, though, is the key. When they missed out on Jadavian Clowney, no pass they lost their pass rush. And that's what you, because you need to get the ball back to Russ. You have to. But that that's my concern with the Seahawks. But I think I need to put in perspective what he's doing. The two quarterbacks. So remember, before the year, we looked at Warren Sharp's book, and they said, change the, the statistics that you look at. Stop looking at total yards. Stop looking at, at uh, quarterback rating and all that. Completions percentage above expectation and QBR. Those, and EPA. Those are yeah, good EPA, statistics. Definitely. Russ and Lamar are far and away the best in completion percentage above expectation. 13.9 and 12.2. No one else is above 9.4. You want to know who third? It shocked me. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew, yes. Gardner Minshew. Hey, buddy. Incredible what he's done, right? Almost not being talked about enough because of that I would take Gardner Minshew over Daniel Jones. I would take Gardner Minshew over a lot of players that were selected in the first round. Right now, I would take Gardner Minshew over. I would take Gardner Daniel Minshew Jones, over Dwayne Haskins. And Sam you don't Darnold, even have to ask me Dwayne twice. Haskins, all those players, he has played way better than with no expectations. With not what a ton even of help. Gave, what gave me more confidence? Oh yeah, because it's not like we trusted the Jacksonville offensive line coming into this season. But the fact that I saw what the Colts defense did to the Vikings, and then realized that Gardner Minshew was able to play smart football. And yeah, he only threw for like 150 net yards, but went 19 of 20 against a defense that made Kirk Cousins look like he was trying out for the XFL. Gardner Minshew has not only the it factor, but he also has the intelligence and the mobility to avoid a pass rush with not. I really like Gardner Minshew a lot. I mean, what's not to like, right? When you look at him, he does a lot of things early in his career that Dak was doing, where it's like, okay, he wasn't a a quarterback taken in the top two rounds, but he's keeping us in games, and he's efficient, and he's smart, and he moves well. And then Mm. it's like, okay, what if we get this guy a couple more pieces? 
can he evolve like Dak did? I don't think he's a level the level player that Dak is or or was at that time, but I think it's the same trajectory where you look at it and go, what if we do build around this guy? Maybe we haven't seen the best of him yet. Lamar, I think people need to realize his first year when he played those six games completed 58% of his passes. Last year, he completed 66% of his passes. And I think if Russ didn't put on a show on Sunday Night Football, more people will be talking about that Lamar is completing 77% of his passes this season, which is astonishing. His second, as I mentioned, in completion of percentage above expectation. Now, his EPA isn't that high, but I'm looking at the Ravens of Lamar right now, and I'm going, hey, guys, the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. And I know that, that Russ and Mahomes are great, but it's the Ravens in my mind and then everybody else because they're the only team that I feel like are solid in every aspect of a football team. And I don't know if you agreed with me. I completely agree with you. And I think an underrated aspect in all of it is sure, Lamar Jackson's back. They got even better. They added more players. They didn't lose either coordinator when honestly, they should have mm. lost at least one. When, when you have, you know, Don Wink, Martindale on the defense, Greg Roman, I think is the best play caller in the NFL right now. I look at that aspect of it and go, you, we talked about continuity all summer. Why didn't we talk about the Ravens with those two guys and Lamar Jackson getting even better? And a young defense. Well, Oh, and, and I, that's what I was concerned about with the Ravens was I was concerned about their D-line because while they did bring in Calais Campbell, I talked a lot about them missing out on Michael Brockers and try, kind of trying to go some other ways. But their ability to pressure the quarterback these first two weeks, every time I looked up, Deshaun Watson was running for his life. And then Lamar on offense is so poised. My only concern is Lamar is still taking hits. And, and he's taking hits at unnecessary times. There was a point in that game yesterday, there was 7.15 left in the game, and the Ravens were up 14 points. And they're trying to make it an unreachable number. And he got smacked right on the sideline. Now, I'm telling you, I watch Kyler, I watch Russ, and I don't see they it happening. They don't and get I, hit. I, that's my one concern about Lamar and Josh Allen is that they are both running for contact. And apparently Justin Herbert, which I didn't realize he was built that way. But my one concern about Lamar is he puts himself in a dangerous situations and I need him I need someone to show him the film. Cuz JK Dobbins and Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, Lamar, we don't need you to do that anymore. Like when you can bring Gus Edwards in in the third and fourth quarter after Dobbins and Ingram have already destroyed people, Lamar, we don't need you to set the tone. We're good. Uh, the Ravens, to me, are so clearly the number one team in the NFL. Now, the number two we might be seeing on Monday night. We're not seeing them right now, the Saints. But I, I just think the Ravens are far and away the best team in the NFL. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. And I, I'm glad, glad you brought up the Lamar aspect because that's who he was in college. He was always the, like, I'm going to set the tone of this game right now. I'm not afraid to get hit, and, and I'll, you know, I'll bounce back up. He's doing it in the NFL, and you love him for it, but you want the guy to play for 20 years, right, at, at that level. So you don't want to see a lot of that where Kyler and Russ, I mean, they don't take hits like that. Kyler in college, when I evaluated him, I was like, everybody's worried about this guy's size and build. Never gets touched, and he makes sure he never gets touched. The guy has peripheral vision that is absolutely unmatched. Josh Allen, why it concerns me is he plays exactly like Cam Newton played, where it's just constant 
upright, diving head first, diving head. Re- like do- he he finally slid yesterday, and I was like, yes, like keep sliding. And it was like bumpy, but it was. Yeah. And Justin Herbert was very similar to Josh Allen coming out of college. So it's like those guys with the big strike zone, right? They're six six. 240. It's a big strike zone. Sure, you don't love hitting those guys as a defender because you're going to bounce off sometimes, but you also have a lot more on the table to actually hit. Josh had a run yesterday where he stood up like three Miami oh. Dolphins players. It was insane. And then he fumbled. Yeah. But they recover the fumble. And that to me is Josh Allen, where early on in a player's career, and I know that you actually scout, so this is more scientific for you. I am looking for what your ceiling is. I am looking for what you are capable of doing. And then as you play, I am looking for refinement. I am looking to fix issues and fix problems. Josh Allen has shown incredible, incredible potential. But he also has not shown the ability to learn from his mistakes yet. And I thought it was very interesting yesterday when Tony Romo was talking about Patrick Mahomes, where he said he's finally learned to use the check down. Even Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, the most talented quarterback I have ever seen play and the best quarterback in the NFL right now. He's still the best, even though Russ is the MVP. Mahomes is still better than him. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But He's still learning that. And so Josh is a year behind him. But, you know, I don't know, man. I brought up well, Mahomes because I just want to talk about how great Mahomes is. Well, when you possess the vertical threat that that Chiefs offense gives you, you're saying, Pat, there's free 12 yards on the table to Clyde Edwards' lair every time. Not every time, but a lot of the time. And I think Pat's sitting there going, okay, like I don't have to throw this into double coverage. And Pat can fit those throws into double coverage unlike anyone else. But now he's sitting there going, all right, I put the defense completely on their heels because they know I'm the best football player, maybe athlete in the entire world right now. Right. And I could just do that, and it's free yards every time. So that's what happens I, when I, you have Andy Reid, though. Andy Reid is a guy that's you're gonna he's going to say that to you, or Eric Bieniemy too, deserves credit, and you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to them. Mm. Yeah, I am curious. Uh, Pat, Deshaun, uh, Lamar, Big Ben – all quarterbacks at the first two weeks, Rodgers, started really slow in the first quarter, just kind of feeling their way out, sort of like LeBron in game one of the seven-game series. Eh, we'll see what happens, and then once I figure out your, your liabilities, I'll destroy you. But, um, yeah, I, I think what was interesting, too, just to kind of switch to the next topic, Ingber, was I sent you that chart today of the percentages of teams, when what, what their record, their likelihood of making the playoffs is – whether you're 0-1, 1-1, 2-0. Because if people don't remember, we're in a different year this year where there's 14 playoff teams, not 12. What about that chart stuck out to you? Uh, and, and who posted it again? What was their name? Uh, you sent it to me. The guy's name is... I think it's Jew Mosk. Yeah, J-U-M-O-S-Q. What's the story of this guy? Wasn't this guy... Justice? The one that re- yeah, his name is Justice. He used to... well. I'm pretty sure he still does, but he's like one of the main like edge pass rush talent evaluators, uh, like on draft Twitter and everything. Ooh, he I does uh, force players, I believe is what it's called. It's like an a- an analytics form that can dictate like the outcome of a edge pass rush. And he was leaking things, right? Yes, he, I'm pretty sure he was actually when when we were waiting for Game Pass to drop the film. Right? Was that when it was? Yes, I think, yeah, so apparently Game Pass took a while to release the film, and this guy was just saying, every hour that you don't put it out, I'm going to release another NFL team's playbook, <laughs> which so just good. felt like so good. 
<laughs> yeah, that um, was. People, yeah. Did you go see ahead, this go. chart, Connor? Though on playoff percentage. No, like I haven't. Okay, so what what sticks out to you, Ingmar? Well, it basically tells the story of if you're uh, if you're one and zero, right? What do you, what percent chance do you have of making the playoffs? What we've learned over the last ten years of data that under a fourteen team playoff format, you would have about a fifty eight percent chance of making the uh, making the playoffs. And then if you go zero and one, it's actually a twenty nine percent chance of making the playoffs. So it's actually asymmetrical. If you think about it, you, it might make sense to think like it's a 58% chance if you're one and no, therefore it would be a 42% chance if you're zero and one, but they're asymmetrical like that. And that asymmetry actually expands over time. So if you are three and oh, you have a 76% chance of making the playoffs. But if you're zero and three, it's all the way down to just 6%, which I thought was like really interesting asymmetry. And I was thinking about this yesterday with the Cowboys comeback on the Falcons because for the Cowboys to be after that game one and one instead of zero and two completely changes the outlook of their season. So if you're two and zero, which the Seahawks and the Chiefs are, your likelihood of making the playoffs is sixty six percent. At one and one, your likelihood is forty nine percent. At 0-2, 11%. So the Cowboys, with that win, went from 11% to 49%. Which, And then when you factor in the fact that they were probably like 90% to lose in terms of like the next-gen stats while that game was going on, that was an enormous, enormous turnaround from the Cowboys. And for the Falcons, they went from 49% to 11%. And now we're sitting here going, Dan Quinn is exactly who we thought he was instead of Dan Quinn with a monster win on the road. Yeah, I think the narrative turns from, hey, Dan Quinn, you know, hung around with Seattle week one and then, and then put up a ton of points and beat the Cowboys. And now it's like, that's one of the most despicable ways you can lose a football game. And when you start, and I did just look at the chart. I mean, it makes perfect sense. If, if you start 0-2, uh, most of the time you're dead in the water. That's simply how it is. And that's why whenever someone's like, well, how are you talking about the draft with the, the six 0-2 teams or whatever it is? And it's like, well, because there's a good chance four of them are going to be in the conversation for these premium players. I have been uh, reading a book recently about bets and getting out of the mindset of resultist mindset, where what ends up happening explains whether or not your decisions were right. And I think about the years in which teams did start off 0-2 or 0-4 and they turned around and then people go, see, see, those percentages are dumb. And I'm going, no, that's the equivalent of you catching an inside straight draw on the river. Like, yes, there was a percentage, but you were at a worse percentage. And so when I think about the Colts, when they were 0-2, okay, they won nine in a row after that. And it was like this huge story of like the offensive line. Remember that one time the Chargers were 0-4? Oh, they came back. Yeah, we talk about it because it doesn't happen that often. That's Um, the point. It's outliers in football. There's outliers in in everything in life, right? Like when college football was supposedly canceled across the the country, everyone's like, no, we're not going to see the next Joe Burrow. And I'm like, no, a a fifth round projected pick doesn't increase his odds to the number one overall pick every year. Like even Baker Mayfield was a a second round guy before the year. Not like that's what people don't understand. There's outliers. Tom Brady is an outlier. The Patriots are outliers. By the way, I wanted to know how Ingber felt. Ingber, what was it like, I don't know if you were listening to the game, for Al Michaels to talk about the draft pick comparison between two quarterbacks 
and not talk about the Patriots quarterback and where he went drafted. Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football flipped it, and I don't think anybody noticed. He went, and if you look at the draft picks in today's game, Cam Newton went first, and Russell Wilson went 75th. And I was like, I have been watching Patriots games for two decades where he's brought up, what is it, 262 for Tom Brady? 199 for Tom Brady. And and. And Al didn't even realize what he had done. Al was like talking romantically about Russell Wilson's draft pick. I was like, is this what this is what gets Al Michaels off? Like, can, you where believe, guys oh, can you believe that a talented quarterback was picked after the second round? Like that is just mind blowing while I'm watching the Patriots play. Yeah. He was yeah. on one though that night. He he referenced like four times how badly Jamal Adams hated the Jets and then goes, and he must be in Nirvana to get to Seattle. And like Nirvana from Seattle, grunge music. And I'm just sitting there like mf or like you know what like i'm the only one that probably just recognized that reference but it's just he's the he's just incredible honestly i am if i can get into tv nerd mind really quick i am fascinated at what's happening at nbc where you have Tariko on a massive deal and he's sitting there and he's like when am i taking over the boot it's like and i i don't don't please don't clip this out this is just talking on the podcast but when i think of nbc i'm like you guys did this with leno and conan i was like what is going because because al michaels to me i don't why would he leave he's still al michaels he's incredible like i'll watch anything if al michaels is the broadcaster but tarico was really good last time he was calling tarico's amazing like we're almost cheated right in my mind if we're doing like cleanest broadcast this would be my cleanest broadcast your pregame, your uh, play-by-play guy is Tariko. Your uh, host of the of the pre- the halftime whatever is Costas, and your pregame energy guy is Ryan Seacrest. That to me is your never mess up broadcast team. I've never seen any of those guys mess up in my life. Does Ryan Seacrest know sports? I think I think that there's a lot of people on television right now that are doing NFL stuff. This is the worst I believe that pregame content has ever been in terms of actual discussions. Like there are people on sets right now whose names I'm not going to say, but if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know where I'm just like they're just not good. I got to stop. Well, no, it's a good conversation because we live in this world where there's such incredible football analysis available oh. to you on Twitter, and you have people like Warren Sharp that you could read. Uh, Evan Silva's established the run where like. Even the casual football fan is getting such good data and analysis 24-7 on the internet. Then you turn on TV, which is the premium version of of football, and you sit there and go, like the studio analysis, and once again, I'm not going to say names either, but it's it's at the point sometimes where like Sundays I wake up, college game day, I'll never do this because I love the product. Sundays though, I'll wake up, I'll turn on the TV, mute it, play music, and at 1245, I'll be like, okay, it's almost time for kickoff, I'll, I'll unmute the TV. It's just, I agree. Uh, The other thing, by the way, to get back on topic about the percentages, uh, Justice also put out the percentage chance of getting the number one seat. This year, more than any other year, that's paramount. There's one bye week, guys. And we have seen these last five, 10 years, disproportionately, the teams that have a bye go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. And now that there's only one seed, we can start gleaning things after two weeks. But I think the big thing will be three weeks, what I saw. 
Ingber, I, I think you're seeing the same thing. The chances of getting the number one seed when you're three and zero, I believe, was what twenty two percent. I actually don't have that chart in front of me. I, I only do. have the, the playoff one. So, at, if you start off the year three and zero, your chance of getting the number one seed is twenty two percent. If you start two and one, it drops down to eight percent, and one and two, it's one percent. Right, that makes sense. And and so for me, I'm looking at the teams right now. The Seahawks seem to be in a driver's seat. The Ravens, you know, the Chiefs are still there. But my whole thing about the Cowboys going and getting the one seed, it it just drops off a cliff. But who who do you think right now are your leading one seed teams, Connor? I, I mean, Baltimore. And if you're Kansas City, you really got to be, you know, wiping your forehead after yesterday and saying, thank God, because that's the kind of game you drop. And it really, really can cost you a Super Bowl. And I know that's crazy to say, but it goes back to your point, Left Go, how vital this one seed is. Kansas City loses yesterday a game that, to be quite honest with you, they shouldn't have lost. And Justin Herbert played out of his mind. Credit to the Chargers. They're a well-coached team. There's no doubt about that. But for me, you know, of course, we're going to still ride with the Chiefs. I would say the Ravens, number one. Seattle... I, it feels I like Ravens in Seattle me. for me right now. Yes, but what scares Four me Ravens Seattle paint. is... I think that pass rush is going to cost them a couple division games this year. I think Arizona might bite them once. I think the Rams are going to be sneaky tough for them now. They're teams that the quarterbacks, and you know, you said it about Goff. A lot of Goff is what's around him and what's being called, but when he executes, it looks flawless at times. I, I like Seattle. I'm not doubting Seattle, but I can't say they're in the driver's seat for number one because I do believe their division is going to give them some problems, especially if the 49ers can get healthy in a couple key areas uh, when they square off. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Seattle is I definitely have fears about their defense, but with their offense, I'm looking at it and going, who are the teams that are capable of dueling with them? And that's where it'll be key. Um, but Do you think Arizona uh, can? I do. I think that uh, early in the year, the thing is, is man, when you look at Arizona and their schedule, they really have a nice little cushion for Kyler to work out the kinks right now. I know. The fact that he gets to play this Detroit defense, I think, is gorgeous. The fact that he gets, uh, what is it after that? I was looking at it today. It, it, was, an easy, it was a soft start. You know, soft start, and then Dallas, they and the Jets they play, and then they play Dallas, and they yep. could be five and zero. Oh, and we see Dallas's defense right now is a mess. So I think if you let Kyler get into the groove and to, to look at things on tape and to go, th- these are things that can happen, and these are things that can, and let him grow more with Hopkins. I think that he absolutely can. I will say that like Cam wasn't running a lot yesterday. And that's because the linebacking core of the Seahawks with Josh, with uh, our guy Jamal Adams, is able to contain him. Yeah. And I think that they will be able to contain Kyler and make him throw more because you can. Um, but about Goff, I- I'll say that Sean McVay is on one right now. Mm-hmm. Sean McVay is back. Um, and the, the thing that, that Warren, I actually had a conversation with him recently where I feel like Warren was still in his head upset at Sean McVay for running so much 11 in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots when he should have run a lot of 12 and 21. And because of that, I feel like I told Warren, I think that you think he's a little bit more stagnant than he is. The the Super Bowl hangover is real. For him against the Eagles on Sunday, 
to focus on tight ends and running backs when that was the clear mistake of the Eagles offense and seemingly not run as much 11. I mean, Higby had three touchdowns and just take the Eagles defense from side to side and do whatever they want and then pound them in the middle. That was a custom game plan. The fact that Sean McVay is now, I believe, 27-0 and with a halftime lead and it's now 5-0 and in 1 o'clock East Coast games, all that narrative of people doubting Sean McVay Get back on the train because what he is doing is building custom attacking game plans. We're now beating the Cowboys, beating the Eagles. He's got it down. Sean McVay is back. Yeah, I would side with you on that. I think he feels a little refreshed. I I think there was definitely some noise over the summer about, hey, you know, was was he – I want to say one-year wonder because the guy's been a really good coach in the NFL before he was with the Rams – but the thing is, with McVay now, I think he understands his roster more this year because it's a little bit more of his roster. The offensive line looks like, hey, they've had some time to patch up their holes. They're not Thank God. abysmal anymore, right? They might not be great, but they're not abysmal. I think we're, you know, what's scary with the Rams in a good way if you're a Rams fan, I think the second half we're going to see, you know, and I know he got hurt yesterday, Cam Akers more involved mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, Cam's comfortable now. They have plenty of wide receivers and tight end weapons. The offensive line is really settling in is what I would like to call it. Just be average. Just be average. And I can make you really good with what I call. The the other L.A. team, let's talk more about Justin Herbert because Joe Burrow last Thursday, Justin Herbert on Sunday, both of them passed the eye test. Joe, Joe Burrow already looks special, and Justin Herbert showed you all you can ask for with a rookie quarterback. With When Anthony Lynn, as Ingber sent us in the notes, goes to Justin Herbert and says, you're the starter, and he goes, you're joking, right? Like, what a clip that is. And to do what he did yesterday, okay, he gave up an easy first down run to throw it across his body deep. It's his first game. Yeah. But when you looked at those two compared to what you were thinking when you scouted them for this season, what what it was an alignment, what exceeded expectation? With Burrow, we've seen almost exactly what we expected. The escapability, the we knew this line was going to be really bad. I'm actually very disappointed in what the Bengals receivers have shown so far. I thought that group Especially would be a little AJ. better. That yeah, yeah, it just doesn't look good. Burrow is exactly kind of what you thought where he can escape and make plays. He's taking huge hits. He always gets up. The team rallies around him. They're excited to play with him. Uh, You know, we want to see him push the ball a little bit more down the field, but that's going to come. I'm not worried about that. Burrow's been almost exactly what you expected. Now, this is the variance. Burrow's overthrows, that's consistent between the first two games, but that'll happen. Exactly. With Herbert, this is the the high-variance quarterback we saw. Like, when he was going to come out the year that Daniel Jones did, I remember the Giants were all over him. We liked him a lot because we were like, okay, incredible arm, really good athlete, you know, all those things. And then you saw a senior year, and you're like, man, he just didn't get better. He actually looked a little worse. He he throws high a lot. He was really – the numbers under pressure were horrific. Mm. All of those things where you're like, okay, I, I know why a team is going to take him in the first round, but I might not value him that way because it, it's just he's so inconsistent. And then yesterday what he did, that's the best of Justin Herbert. But if that's what we're going to get, that's really, really good where he can make any throw. He can run. He's obviously super tough with that kind of build he has. He's built to take hits. Like, like you can't sit him after that. That, That's I don't. 
I hope Tyrod Taylor is in great health and he comes back and they go, don't know what it is. It'll never be there again. I don't care if they say, listen, Tyrod Taylor, it's, he's actually stronger now. He's like, he's like a superhuman. It doesn't matter. It's Justin Herbert's team. now. has to be because what I saw as somebody that took the chiefs minus nine, and part of the reason was because I knew what Tyrod Taylor was going to not <laughs> bring too. to a game. And I lost that bet. And I'm going to say it's because of Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's willingness to throw to running backs and kind of give a lot, jump ball situations. The Chargers are built for one-on-one jump balls. All of their players are athletic as hell. Keenan's going to cut you up, lob it up to Mike Williams. Eckler is more athletic than your linebackers. Give them a chance. What did Tyrod never do? Throw balls into 50-50 situations. Herbert with the run, with the deep ball. You don't show that against the Chiefs in a game that you – like Andy Reid owns the Chiefs, and that was the closest they've gotten to beating him. It's Herbert or nothing. It has to be, and I think for Herbert, what makes you so excited, it felt like he started to lose some of his confidence at Oregon where you know, he was either sailing throws or not getting the ball out or, or running too much, all these different things where you're like, man, like what happened to this guy? And then yesterday, it's like, no, that's the player that as an underclassman, you, you sat there and go, hey, that guy's going to be a top 10 pick one day. So uh, it didn't I was even happy look like to they cut it. back the playbook. No, I can't believe how ready he was being told that late to start and how co- confidence was his issue a lot of Oregon yesterday he looked that's why you can't sit him now the confidence is is good get put your foot on the gas and let him go it was I mean, great to this see. kid this kid came out of his shoe and his insole popped out and he's like he's like a little bit nervous but then he slides it back in and keeps going with the drive Justin Herbert this is a Chargers team that the defense I would imagine for the last few years has been looking at the offense and going what the hell they're tired. Stop throwing these picks. Stop ruining this. I mean, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa have been like the best pass rush tandem for like the last three years. They, they hold the, the Chiefs to 17 points, but they finally have a quarterback on the other side that can win them a game. It's Justin Herbert. It's got to be. But from what you saw, you'd still take Burrow over Herbert. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. From what you saw, would you take Herbert over Tua? And we still don't know Tua. No, I I still like Tua. I think what you saw from Herbert yesterday is like if you're a Chargers fan, you're like, yes, like all of the physical talent is really special. You just want him to be a consistent player. Uh, it was just a great start. And I'll tell you right now, um, you know, I'm not taking away anything from it. The Chiefs were not prepared to play Justin Herbert. They were not prepared. This happened to the Jets when Tyrod got hurt in the second quarter. Week two, Baker, Baker came Mayfield, in and Baker shredded them. And they were like, Todd Bowles was like, man, I had a game plan to just contain Tyrod. And it, did Josh Allen yeah. replace Tyrod in week two also? No, uh, he replaced God. Who was their starter? But that is incredible that Baker yeah, and, Tyrod and Herbert started <laughs> yeah. both from Tyrod. Tyrod is he's good luck, Chuck. Yeah. So if you're a team planning to draft Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, sign Tyrod to start a game or two <laughs> and then get one of those guys in and career will just take off. Instant right first off. game success. Yeah. When when you look at those two guys, Herbert and Burrow, what we've seen earlier, I want to kind of look back at the last few years and just kind of see where it would stack up. Just and this is off of you know overreaction. You know what I mean? Off like one or two games. Compared to the 2019 draft, Kyler, Daniel Jones, Haskins, Locke, and I guess Minshew and Stidham. Where would you slot Burrow and uh, Herbert in there? 
So I, I would say I was the highest on Kyler individually. Like there was just so much to love about Kyler. Uh, didn't expect him to be a prospect till like very late, and then you're like, okay, Ooh. great. Like this is what we like what we were hoping and dreaming for with this draft class. Then I would say Burrow. Um, so just the two classes, right? 2019 yes. and, and 2020. Yes. Yeah. So Kyler, Burrow, Tua, and, and then it gets really interesting. And like then I, I was Herbert. It's probably Haskins, Herbert, Jones. Yeah, but you don't feel that way anymore. Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I mean I, now. I don't care about draft, Connor. I mean now, Connor. Oh, I would say, I would say Kyler. I would like to just say to all the Washington fans that are still arguing with me about Dwayne Haskins. That's crazy. I, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Now, I will say that Dwayne Haskins' argument. His offensive line is trash, which is part of the reason why I think Washington's in trouble, especially because Brandon Scherf left the game yesterday. They have no one on their offensive line. So maybe I'm being unfair to Haskins, but if if Terry McLaurin doesn't catch the ball, there's no one else that he throws to. So this is what's going to happen to Dwayne Haskins, Lefko. I'll tell you right now. Dwayne Haskins is going to go through the same thing that Sam Darnold went through, where it's like, just it doesn't look very good. The offensive line's very bad. There's not a lot of weapons. Now, Scary Terry's is obviously the best by far between both teams. Yes. But you're always pointing back to the garbage time numbers that try to endlessly give you hope. And mm. it's happening with Darnold now, or it's almost happened to the point where I don't even know if they can fix him. And I think it's going to happen with Haskins, where you, you know, that game was what, 20 to three in the fourth quarter? And then the one three, it was 27 and nine. And I said that they were going to win by 30. And I got people in my mentions being like, you were wrong. They only won by 15. And I was like, it was such a laugher that Fox was like, you know what? Why don't we also put on the CBS game? Because this game is awful. The game was terrible. It was such a beatdown. And hold on, Ingber, what were, did people tweet? How bad were the tweets? Because you've seen a lot of the tweets. I've seen a lot. I mean, I just put this one, the, the one that you happen to have retweeted as well, I thought was just very funny. It was indicative of the tweets. It said, I'm waiting for your apology to Dwayne Haskins and the Washington football team. Haskins didn't play like garbage, nor did WFT lose by 30 Washington football team. But Murray does look like an MVP candidate, so at least you were right about something. It's just so... That's from at Testy Seeker 19. Oh, so and he, he's, he, he, I saw he tweeted someone. I'm not going to give him too much, but I saw he tweeted someone. He had very similar numbers to Tom Brady yesterday. And I was like, what is going on? Football Twitter is the worst. So the Twitter, numbers is a problem. Connor. It, yeah. And listen, it's going to, it's happening with Sam where it's like every, like the Jets were never in the game with the Bills. And then you have the drive at the end where it's, it's garbage time. They're sitting back. It's happening with Haskins. It's happening with mm. Darnold. I'm not trying to be like the Debbie Downer and saying I'm out on these guys after two years, after one year, or anything like that. It's just where the numbers are going to start to manipulate arguments that, quite frankly, just don't exist. It's, uh, it's interesting. When I look at the last five years, uh, Mahomes is number one. Lamar is number two. Kyler is number three uh, in terms Watson. of like got. And, and sometimes I think Kyler ahead of Lamar, Watson. Watson, I think, is actually number three, but his franchise is just so bad. I'm looking at Watson. Uh, like, I feel awful for him. Yeah, I kind of feel for him because he kind of had to sign that extension after the two torn ACLs. But, like, you really would wish he didn't have to sign that extension. You really would wish. Or, or there would be some kind of way where it's like, I don't even know. There's just, there just wasn't enough leverage there, I guess. 
that he felt. The like other guy from that 2017 draft was a uh, good old buddy, old pal Mitchell Trubisky, who uh, is now sitting there at two and zero, um, and. I've never wanted to bet against a team more. If I could short a team, like going the rest of the way, like, you know what? I probably could. I need to see if there's still season long over unders for the bears because their wins over the lions and the giants uh, are just so fraudulent to me. I can't, I can't buy anything in Chicago right now. No, it's hard to, it makes you, if you're a Chicago fan, you seriously have to be asking yourself, why did we go for Nick Foles and not Cam Newton? And that's not revisionist history because so Everybody you're even in the saying this, even it. though Trubisky, you know, you got Dove. What was the tweet from Dove Kleiman that he put out there, Ingber? The Dove Kleiman tweet. Hold on one second. I mean, it's, it's something, just something like Mitch is playing like a guy who saw. Yeah, Mitch is playing like a guy who saw Mahomes and Watson sign contracts worth over six hundred and fifty million this offseason and wants to get some of that. No, he's not. Uh, it's, you no. know, <laughs> he's not. I'm sorry. Don't buy into it. I mean. <laughs> It's just, it, no, it's not. And then in the mix of all this, because we're doing so much young quarterback talk, you know, Drew Locke gets hurt this weekend, and it's like, man, the, Bron- the Broncos are going to be in such a bizarro spot right now. We just have no idea what Drew Locke is. Yeah. If you don't know by now, though, with certain things, not I'm not saying this with Locke, but this is going to happen with the Jets and Sam. It could happen with Washington. I don't know. The Giants, I don't know. You're going to take a quarterback in this class if you're picking top three. You're right, because if you're if you're the Giants, you're going, we couldn't evaluate Daniel Jones last year because everybody else got hurt and his offensive line stunk. Well, guess what? His offensive line stinks again, and now Saquon's out for the year. You're looking at Darnold, and you're going, well, maybe it's just a Gase thing, but I will say they fixed that offensive line. Makai Becton looks incredible. Yeah, he looks incredible. great. And even George uh, Fant is shutting me up, a lot of people up. He's done a really good job at right tackle. But I, I think you're right, though. I look at Drew Locke and... Some would argue that the Denver Broncos offense looked better with Jeff Driscoll yesterday. I would be someone that would argue that because while Drew Locke did connect with Cortland Sutton on the first play of the game, it's been two games of me watching Drew Locke and going, I'm seeing a whole lot of nothing here. Like I I saw a whole lot more for Herbert with no warning that he was going to play than Drew Locke. I just have. No, it makes sense. I mean, there was a reason he went in the second round. There was a reason across the board a lot of people had him as a day two player. Uh, he was not consistent in college. He was not a, a quick processor in college, and he turned the ball over a lot. Where That's a lot to clean up at the NFL level. Now, I'm not saying I'm out on Drew Locke, but there's a reason why he was a round two pick and not a top 10 kind of guy. I still feel better about Daniel Jones than Trubisky. Oh, that's fair. By a lot. Like, even watching that game yesterday, it's like he's still driving down the field, and and the Bears are just that team right now where they'll drop 17 in the first quarter and then never score again. Like, everybody has a chance against the Bears. Daniel Jones does so many good things, but the bad things are just so – you can't overcome them where it's going to put the Giants, if they're really as bad as we think they could be, especially after losing Saquon, the Giants Mm. are going to be in – a tremendously difficult spot. One of the most difficult spots I have ever seen. So you're foreseeing the Giants being a top five pick this year with Daniel Jones, and we don't know how to evaluate the situation around him with a quarterback possibly available. And there might be a new GM there. Mm. So Joe Judge is going to sit there and go, okay, like you're the new GM. Let's do what you want to do. I don't, I don't know who they're going to hire. I don't know how that guy's going to feel of about course. Daniel Jones. I don't know how that guy's going to feel about Trey Lance and Justin Fields at picks three, four, whatever it is. Hmm. You know, it's it's going to create 
a while. And then what happens to Daniel Jones? Like the NFL is not going to give up on Daniel Jones somewhere. No. Not going to give up on Darnold. They're not going to give up on Haskins. Like all those guys. Yeah. No, no, they shouldn't. This, there's going to be an opening in Pittsburgh. There's going to be good places to go play. So you see this as a, a really big New York thing. Where oh, it's, both both New York teams will likely have top five picks. Both New York teams have a quarterback taken in the last three years, and both really don't know what they have at the quarterback position because everything around that position has been cloudy. It could be really interesting. It's going to be fascinating, and it's safe to say the Jets are going to be really bad. Like Joe Judge might be able to spark the Giants to to start winning at some point where they don't. Yeah, the Giants are showing fight. The Giants have life. They look well coached. They're just overmatched from a roster perspective because of Gettleman's holes. That happens in the NFL. The Jets are outcoached by a mile every single Sunday where they're going to be picking potentially first overall, top three. Mm. They're going to be hiring a new coach. They have a GM that didn't draft Sam Darnold. If you're selling that coaching spot where you want to get your guy, right? Because the Jets are not going to be a place that a lot of people want to go because of the way the franchise has been run. You need to package it with, hey, you could take your franchise quarterback. I'm here to work with you to go take our franchise quarterback. It doesn't matter if you believe in Sam Darnold or not. That's just the way things go in the NFL. Did Sam have time on Sunday with Bosa and Solomon Thomas going down and Mekhi Beckton? Did he have time? Yeah, I mean, he had he had plenty of time. They just play calling's bad. Receivers are bad. Uh, he had time. Uh, it wasn't an issue in my eyes at all. I think the guards have not been good in pass pro, but he has had time. I mean, be- and even the first two drives that Bosa played, Becton didn't even look close to getting beat by Nick Bosa. Mm-hmm. So I have one sad topic and I have one fun topic, Connor. I'll let you pick which one first. <laughs> oh, man, let's go sad. Okay, uh, so I just got news as we're recording this on Monday. McCaffrey's out four to six weeks. We've waited about an hour to talk about the injuries because it just sucked. It really sucked, and I didn't want to come in talking about it. Ingber was a good idea not to bring it up, but Ingber sent us a list, and it's an entire page of Google Docs in 12-point font. And it was so, and it felt like it was a barrage. Bosa's being carted off. Down goes Drew Locke. Christian McCaffrey's gone. Malik Hooker tore his Achilles. Like it was so many that current NBA NFL players that played on Thursday, like Odell, were like, stay clean out there, fellas. You, the, the, the 49ers have come out and said, we are afraid of playing at MetLife again. I, I'm just curious, just from an emotional standpoint, because Ingber, I did kind of call this, I guess I was just a week early, huh? But it just sucked to watch. You had talked about this during the offseason that you thought it was going to be an ACL epidemic in week one, which is a totally reasonable prediction. But I guess what we didn't take into account was that they were all fresh, their bodies were fresh. But as anyone that's ever been injured and played sports at a high level knows, it's when you come back a little too early in your recovery process, that's when you get re-injured. Right. I'm not saying that I played at any sort of high level, but if you have a sprained ankle and then they say stay off it for three days and three days later you're back on the court, that's when you're going to break your ankle. And right. if, if they say it's a three day recovery, you might want to take 10 days. And if these guys that are not at full pre, no, you know, no preseason, they don't have full conditioning, then playing and then playing again seven days later, that's when you're going to see the cavalcade. It just injuries. sucked. And it was just I, such a bummer. And then you factor in for like Saquon, he played on Monday, so he had short rest. You know, and, he, and there and there was travel involved too, and that's where I start looking at the travel schedules of these teams, and I'm like, 
man, that's tough. But Connor, it was just, especially in your game, it just felt like it was every play. It was terrible. And I know there's new turf at MetLife that, that has people concerned. Obviously, losing Nick Bosa for the year is just, it's crushing. He's, he's an awesome player. Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, and that. On that was, same field on Monday Night Football, Zach Banner starting right tackle. The Steelers went down. So we have lost a lot of guys at MetLife already this season, if we're being honest. Absolutely. And uh, I can't remember. I know the Jets had a couple practices there this August, and they've just. I mean, they can't field the risk. They were down to four receivers. All the receivers are hurt. Yesterday, and, and, and per, uh, Perriman, Rashad Perriman got hurt yesterday. It um, is one of the original commandments of this podcast. Grass, not turf. There always. is no given turf. People, th- what people don't understand is, and, and I heard in the game, they're like, oh, the pellets are coming up. There is no give. You have people that are the strongest bottom half built people in the country that are going at a million miles an hour and they, they need to tear up the earth behind them. But instead, they're, it's not going. And you're just seeing Nick Bosa. It just, it's just sad. And uh, I'm curious what it does to the psyche of the players going forward after oh, a week like that. Imagine if you're a guy in a contract year, like Jamal Adams hasn't gotten paid yet. Like how, imagine how scary that is. If you're a guy that hasn't gotten paid yet, it goes back to my conversation. Why Deshaun Watson probably felt he had to get his monster mm. extension. Now multiple torn ACLs. Uh, I mean, you saw the Niners just George Kittle will play through anything, right? Like he could have his arm cut off and he's going to go out there and play with one arm. And they were like, nah, like we're ruling you out Friday. Don't even think about playing through this game. And now they're probably sitting there going, hey, they're because they're playing the Giants at MetLife this right. week. They're probably going, and I know George Kittle wants to, you know, he wants to play. They feel he's ready to go. Wouldn't shock me with how good Jordan Reed looked, how bad the Giants have looked, how bad that turf is. Why force it, right? With I mean, George Kittle. Nick Mullins having to come in. And it's it's multiple quarterbacks. It's just of all the injuries, um, what, what do you think impacts the long-term season the most? Was there any that you were like, oh, that's – like to me, all the Niners injuries, I'm like, that is a true playoff contender that luckily they're playing some bad teams, but that could set them off course with the way that Arizona, the Rams, and the Seahawks are looking. Well, the trickle effect of Saquon's is horrendous, right? Because now we're in a stage where year two, I don't know how we evaluate Daniel Jones. Not that the run game was going anywhere anyway, because they can't, they simply cannot run block. That's why Saquon stops his feet every time he gets a handoff. And, you know, I believe his was non-contact yesterday. Either way, I mean, those things, they happen. It's horrible. But you still have to face the threat of Saquon Barkley on the field. That hurts the Giants long-term the now impact is Nick Bosa because the 49ers are a team that wins with their pass rush. Nick Bosa is one of the best young pass rushers in all of football. Let's not forget Lefko. They traded Defoe for a number one pick to the Colts, right? They're get, Javon Kinlaw does some freaky stuff, but he's still a rookie. You now take Nick Bosa off the field. D Ford didn't play. He's hurt already too. Are they going to rush D Ford back onto the field at the same turf again? The Niners, it's the Niners are in big trouble right now from a defense standpoint, and and it's simply because of injuries. What you just said triggered me into uh, if we were going to be doing Dolphin Tank again, uh, this would be one that I'd sell. But this is just a belief that I have. Um, If I'm if I'm looking at my preseason predictions, the ones that I feel the worst about. Uh, I doubted the Rams. I feel bad about that. That one doesn't look uh, so good anymore. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the Cowboys, but I look at the NFC East and I go, I still think they're going to run away with that one. But the one that I'm feeling amazing about 
is the Colts. Because the Colts right now, quietly 2-0, and that defense, first in yards per game, first in passing yards allowed per game, third in sacks, and they're only behind Washington, who had eight against the Eagles in game one, and Pittsburgh, and I believe that Pittsburgh is the best defense that I've seen in like five years. They... Uh, the, the Colts are one and one. They lost to Jacksonville. I'm an idiot, but I still love the Colts because Minshew, even though he was 19 to 20, is 150 net yards, and all the big drives were in short fields from Phillip Rivers' interceptions. Buckner has been dominant. Mm-hmm. What I, I watched the Colts game as one of my main games to focus on, and I have never seen the Vikings' offense look that helpless. Dalvin Cook couldn't get anything going. Kirk Cousins was under attack. And now the Colts play the Jets. Let's go. The Bears going to shut down Trubisky. The Browns, the Bengals, and then a bye. The Colts, it feels like a runaway uh, in terms of starting off the season big. Because I, I look at the Colts' defense and... Losing Malik Hooker is big, but what I'm seeing out of Darius Leonard and Kenny Moore and Buckner, and they got Justin Houston running, rushing off the edge. Phillip Rivers, I believe, is actually third right now in something like completion. Like uh, uh, He's very high up, I think, in completion percentage above expectation. He had T.Y. Hilton on a bomb yesterday that T.Y. dropped. Um, they had the longest drive ever. That had to, they're, they're giving Jonathan Taylor, it seems like, a 1,000 carries a game right now. The Colts are, to me, in an era where they just remind me a lot of the Ravens last year where it's like, you're just not going to face another team like us all year that's going to run it as much as we are, and that defense is great. Yeah, they wear you out, and I'm glad you brought them up because, I mean, I'm sure I'll have a lot of big misses this year, but I picked the Colts to win the division because you could see everything falling into place that Chris Ballard has been working on for a couple of years. Uh, Paris Campbell getting hurt yesterday is disappointing because he, he had a really good breakout week one, and, and you feel like he could stretch the field. I don't think TY's looked great. I, they're actually a team that I want to see make a move for a wide receiver if they can because – they're right there in it. They can run the ball with anyone. Great line. Love JT. It's a shame Marlon Mack got hurt because he looked really good in the first half of week one. Yeah. But they got a guy behind him that, that could be even better. And like you said, Lefko, that defense is well coached and coming together. You have to love what you see. And I maybe this will this take a look foolish. I think they're they're built to beat Tennessee. I really do think they're built to beat them. Tennessee, it's we talked about Tannehill in the beginning has exceeded my expectations. Uh, the defense, though, I think is a real liability right now. I think a lot of the they have a lot of injuries in their secondary. Um, and I, while I love Justin Simmons, uh, and I think Harold Landry is a, is, an, is a great pass rusher, I just feel like they're missing some more difference makers up front. Um, the one thing I will say about the Titans, one of the random stats that we brought up in the beginning of the year was field goal luck. And for the Titans to go from making 47% of their field goals last year, and they had a net rate last year of minus 33%, which was both the worst in the NFL, and we start off the year with Goskowski missing all those field goals, but now hits two game-winning field goals, that is a way that you don't regress to the mean if you're the Titans. Is if, if This is a team that I feel like only plays one-score games. If they now have a kicker 
where they've been so bad at that position the last two years. It, it to me, it just it does give the Titans a little bit of hope. It does, and it's good to see Tannehill be exactly who he was last year. It's not like he came back down to earth. He's a guy that can maybe win you some games now. I think he deserves that kind of respect. So this division is more interesting uh, than I think we expected. It's disappointing to see what Houston has done around Watson because they should be the most exciting team in the division. What the hell happened? Where was Will Fuller? I don't know. I just And on top of that, they look short. At, though. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I know Brandon Cooks had a much better week two than a week one, but it's just, it's always going to go back to the Hopkins trade. It, it really is. It's always going to go back to that. It's just unexplainable at this point. Wow. So you're, especially with what you're seeing him do in Arizona, but I guess it really is like the comfort blanket to take that away from Deshaun Watson for what? For a lot of risk. I mean, two guys that are constantly hurt every year, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. Yeah, we love that they're 4-3 speed and they win down the field and that Will Fuller has the chance to be, a, he has the talent to be a top 10 receiver in football. But does that mean they'll ever stay consistent and healthy like Hopkins does? That's mm. what's very frustrating about it. And the offensive line has not been rebuilt the way it, it was promised, honestly. You know, between Titus Howard, the interior of that line, uh, it, Watson's under pressure a lot. And it, yes, it's Baltimore not to have extreme takeaways from Baltimore because they make everybody look bad. But for me, it's, you know, tough start to the schedule for Houston. They could still bounce back, but you could see where their holes are. There are a lot of great matchups in week three. And I kind of want to look ahead a little bit while I got you, Connor, one of them Rams bills, uh, interest me. Rams are going to stay on the East coast. Uh, and, and to me, it's, it's a quarterback that does everything for his offense in Josh Allen versus a, a coach that does everything for his quarterback in Sean McVay. And the thing that I have my eye on that matchup is just going to be, again, the linebacker health of the Bills. Because if they have Milano and, and Edmonds out there, that is a team that can run side to side with the Rams. And if they're not, that to me looks like it's going to be another high-scoring affair. That to me looks like a fun game. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think Brian Dable has done such a good job with the Bills offense and the development of Josh Allen. So I want to give him a little credit there, too. Obviously, it doesn't matter if there's fans or not. It's tough when you're the Rams going all the way out to Buffalo, whether you're staying the week or not. So it's a big test for Buffalo, right? I mean, you look at it, you know, close game against Miami, as bad it's as a the game. game. I feel like it this is. is a game where, where I, I'm intrigued by both teams, but I'd like to see how they do with real competition. Yeah, I would too. That I have that one definitely circled for next week. Um, you know, obviously Sunday night football with Green Sunday Bay. Sunday night football and is epic. And, it, and again, we're epic. recording this before Saints Raiders, but that to me feels like a battle of two and O teams. Um, we're, we're getting to a very fun historical part of the year. Ben Roethlisberger passed Eli Manning for seventh all time in passing yards. Anytime you get Breeze and Rogers on Sunday night football, Al Michaels is going to lose his mind. I think the 425 game, Cowboys and Seahawks, that game could be 45 to 41. So Russ versus yes. Dak, there might be six rushing touchdowns at the quarterbacks. And both secondaries don't look good right now. So those Trapped. guys should drop out, drop back and throw the ball. I mean, when was the last time Lefko and Ingber, we had a Sunday night, Monday night back-to-back -back where potentially Jeez, the two right best now. teams in the NFC and the two best teams in the AFC 
are like when do you have championship previews? I would Sunday argue I would argue that the last six teams that are playing, so the four twenty five yep. national game, Cowboys, Seahawks, Packers, Saints on Sunday football, and Chiefs Ravens. I mean, that is th- those have huge implications for number one seed uh, and and playoff seeding already in week three. And, and if you're the Bucks going to Denver, you can't afford a letdown game. I know it's Driscoll, know but Tom Brady doesn't play well in Denver. It's a desperate game for Denver. They're going to scratch and claw against that Bucks team. I'll tell you right now, Vic Fangio. That I know that spread will probably be big, even though it's a road game. I, I don't know. I think I think it's a bigger game for the Bucks than people are letting on. I just realized I gave you the medicine without the treat. So the, the negative is the injuries. The good thing is a. Uh, a hypothetical. And so, Ingber, unmute yourself because I want you chimed in on this one too. If the Falcons were playing the Chiefs, how much would the Falcons have to be up at halftime for the Chiefs not to come back? I never feel like a lead is safe against the Chiefs, and I never feel like a lead is safe for the Falcons. How much would the Falcons have to be up over the Chiefs for Patrick Mahomes not to make a comeback? They'd have to be 29 to 3. 29. You're going that much more. That's all. Yeah, because you can't blow a 29 to 3 lead if you're the Falcons. That's impossible. (laughs) I would legitimately say I'd need like 38 points. (laughs) I really. I think because so. in the Falcon psyche, they cannot protect a lead. Nothing is safe. I mean, Dan Quinn's going for it on fourth and two in his own in his own <laughs> side of the field because he's like, we got to be aggressive. And then with the Chiefs, they could be down twenty with five minutes left, and I care. still feel like Patrick Mahomes is going to make it done. So I, mine, my, I feel like mine is about thirty-five. I yeah. feel like the Falcons have to be up thirty-five points, and even that, I don't feel safe about. It's a great question, and I, I legitimately stand on that. I would need thirty-eight points. Right now, that's how broken I think I think the Falcons are. Now, for Falcons fans listening to this, at least you have leads to worry about. Like I root for a yeah. team that is usually down thirty-eight points by the half, so like it's no hard feelings. But that's how powerful the Chiefs are. The real answer is just bang that over, right? That could be oh, a sixty-five-point yeah. game. Oh, it's been over central and seemingly every game right now. I feel like seven different teams had over thirty-five points this week. Well, this is something that Warren talked about before, which was, you know, we're not really working out tackling. You know, offenses know where they're going. Defenses really don't. But, uh, yeah, Packers-Lions hit the over. I hit the Arizona-Washington under, which was nice. But, man, Mahomes is incredible. The Falcons stink. They're just – Dan Quinn, I just need to remind everybody that in the Week 9 bye last year, the Falcons were 1-7. and And they said, let's give this guy another chance. And they won like seven games to end the year, including wins over like the 49ers and the Saints. And people are like, oh, they're good. Guys, you hired Dan Quinn for good defense, and he's had a bottom five defense in seemingly every year he's been there. And the one year they went to the Super Bowl, it's because Kyle Shanahan was your OC. And we see what he's doing in the Niners. I think that Dan Quinn is a great guy. But come on. Yeah, it's over. I, I feel like you could put the whole, like, we give up leads thing, just put it on Dan Quinn, and then just send him out into a lake and be like, look, that era is over with us, but just tough. While we're talking about the Falcons here, the 0-2 Falcons are hosting the 2-0 Bears. What do you think the line on that game is? Because it's a oh. fascinating line. 
Where is it? It's in Atlanta. I think the Falcons should be favored. Falcons win that one by a lot. The Bears' corners have been really good. I want to say that. Jalen Johnson, the rookie from Utah, player player I really liked, um, has been insanely impressive. And the defensive line has been great. Akeem Hicks has been great. It's actually low-key one of the better positional matchups of the week. The Falcons' wide receivers versus the Bears' corners. But I'm not believing in Mitch Trubisky, and I'm taking the Falcons. My, mine is more in the I can't wait to look up for Thursday's show the record of 0-2 teams. I feel like that percentage is really high, um, mainly from desperation. But what is the line? It's three and a half to the Falcons. So Vegas, you know, as you know, home field advantage is usually around two and a half to three points. And with some fans or no fans, it should be a little bit less than two and a half. So Vegas is saying that the Falcons are about a point and a half better than the Bears right now at 0-2, which I just think is interesting. Not necessarily saying it's right or wrong. Mm. And well, there's something to say games, about that. In both football. games, the Falcons have started off very fast, very fast offensively. And then in both games, they imploded. And the question that you have for the Bears is, if they go down early, how confident are you in them coming back? But – Oh, man, I just think the Falcons are going to be playing for desperation. Oh, and you know me. I love betting a bit. Well, man, we'll see which way the public goes. Connor, thank you for stepping in and holding it down, big buddy. I no, I love, I love talking to you guys. It's always fun to do this show. Always. And, always. Uh, I mean, coming off a great weekend. Energy's good. Everyone's excited. Even the 0-2 really teams. seems like you've already moved on. Like, I, I've, I've been moved on from the Eagles not being a real contender for a while now. But I mean, I'm very concerned about Carson Wentz. Imagine going into year two of Adam Gase when you watched him stink with a division rival for a couple of years. At some point, you're just like, I don't have energy to give to this at all. I mean, I'll cover the team and do my my Jets pod, and but it's it's all draft, I'll stick to football, NFL, college football from here on out. Okay, well, we're going to have you on again a little bit later, and I want to talk about the quarterbacks that you're seeing. I think more than ever before, in for that is God telling me to rap, Uh, but more than ever before, I think it's going to be a year where we need to know who these guys are coming in. And the information, like, it's so hard to even know who's playing and who's playing well right now, but you're the man. So, for Connor Rogers, say something. L-E-F-K-O-E, man. Sure. Nice. <laughs> I didn't David know if I have to do it. That was good. For David Ingber. You were talking about a resultist mindset earlier. And if you're sitting at the poker table, someone's going to suck out on you. Someone's going to hit a straight on the river and it's going to drive you crazy. The point is that you have to play enough hands for those sorts of percentages to even out over time. And with a football team, you only have 16 games, right? One win or one loss could be a massive swing in terms of your Super Bowl odds. So just keep that in perspective. If it were a baseball game, you lose one game on a wacky thing. It's not that big a deal. In football, it's a humongous deal. Keep that in perspective. Absolutely. All these are just percentages that can change rapidly over time. And I would say that my one note is look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you really think that your team has a chance? And typically that's the answer. Because a lot of you right now are going, shit, I don't really trust your biscuit that much. (laughs) Go the right way. I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E man. We will holla, holla, holla at you later.